Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello. Um, today we are going to be discussing transnational modern languages um, and specifically transnational modern French studies, French, transnational French studies, um, which is a book within a series published by Liverpool Uni- University Press, which advocates studying languages and cultures through their interactions rather than as isolated national traditions. This series demonstrates the academic, cultural, practical, and commercial value of modern language research when framed as a transnational cultural inquiry. And so this series of books targets students specifically, and the collection as a whole and individual essays in our specific edition that we're going to discuss today, illustrate how transnational and transcultural approaches expand the scope of the French language. This is accomplished by broadening potential research objects, applying multifaceted methodologies, and explicated and explaining well-articulated examples. So the book is divided into four sections following the introduction that is co-written by Claire Launchbury and Charles Forstick, who are here with us today and who I'll introduce in a minute. Um, And the four sections are languages, spaces, temporalities and subjectivities. And within this remit, we move from literature to sociolinguistics to video games to comics, uh, which may or may not be really French. Um, And now I might just introduce um, Claire and Charles. So Claire Launchbury is currently teaching in communication, media and cultural studies at Oxford Brookes University. And in addition to her scholarship, which concentrates on cultural and therapeutic translations of memory, the archive and testimony, with a particular focus on Lebanon, she is a photographer and publishes widely on contemporary events. Her monograph is entitled Music, Poetry and Propaganda, Constructing French Cultural Soundscapes at the BBC During the Second World War. And also today we have with us Charles Fallstick, who was until recently the James Barrow Professor of French at the University of Liverpool. Um, He is the lead fellow for languages at the British Academy and and he's a member of the Academy of Europe and has just taken up the Draper's Professorship of French at the University of Cambridge. He is a specialist of French colonial history and the Francophone Caribbean and has worked extensively on the commemoration and memorialization of slavery in both France and the UK. Uh, Thank you both for being here today and having made the time. Um, so perhaps, um, unless we have any immediate things to say, I might just, we might just begin with discussing the introduction and you both mentioned when we kind of had a pre-discussion, um, over the internet, that the airport is a particularly salient, potentially point of departure for us to begin this discussion with as the symbolic point of entry, perhaps, into what transnationalism means in the context of the French language um, and French identity and the barriers and boundaries and transgressions of kind of national boundaries when thinking about French. Um, We could perhaps begin by discussing the Maspero example that you mentioned, so, and perhaps do a little recap, which I can definitely do, of Les Passagers du Rossi Express, which was, is a travel chronicle written um, in 1990 that kind of sets out the airport as not necessarily the non-place, the non-lieu that it was described as in Marc Orgy, but a way of kind of perhaps pluralizing what what Frenchness means. I don't know if you, anyone would like to jump in on kind of what the main kind of salience of the airport was um, and why you picked it as a point of departure perhaps for, for the whole edition. Do you want me to go, Charles? I'm happy to start, or it's quite honestly, it's up to you. It's up go, to you. Go for it. No, go for it, Charles. Right. 
One of the really important things about this book and the the series in which um, it, it features is we're looking to move beyond abstract understandings of transnationalism and to root them in concrete examples and crucially, I think, in concrete locations. So when Claire and I were discussing the beginning of the introduction, so this is what we hope readers will engage with initially, we decided the airport was was a, an essential illustration, really, of, of the, 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 the complex issues in the book. And I should note that Claire, several years ago, two, uh, 2017, Claire? 16, I think it was. 2016. Um, Claire organised a magnificent conference um, at what was then the Institute for Modern Languages Research um, on the um, cultural meanings and many other meanings um, of, of the airport. So we decided to focus on um, Roissy Charles de Gaulle. Um, part of our argument is that nation states use airports, particularly through the ways in which they name them, um, as a way of, of performing um, the, the coherence um, of um, the, the nation. It, 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 in France, with Roissy Charles de Gaulle, it's obviously the, the, cho- the choice, as is so often the case, of, of a great man. Uh, or somebody considered to be um, uh, uh, a great man who who designates the the airport. So the airport, on the one hand, stands for um, a nationalist ideology, but clearly anybody who's visited an airport, anybody who's been behind the scenes at an airport, um, realises that it's it's this uh, porous place where the nation meets the world. Um, And so for us, um, the, the airport was a transnational site par excellence. It was a a place through which elite travellers, what Susan George calls fast casts, come into the nation. Um, But it's also a place of more clandestine journeys, and it's the place of deportations as well, state-enforced deportations um, of those who who, who are considered undesirable in the nation. So that was the choice of it as place. And then we moved on to think about particular texts. Now, Claire and I... um, both have an interest in Maspero's Les Passagers du Wassy Express, which is this remarkable piece of literature from 1990, written in the wake of the bicentenary um, of the um, French uh, French Revolution, um, which tried to do that work. Um, so taking the RERB line, looking at the journey from the airport into the centre of Paris, into the southern um, banlieue, slowing down that journey and allowing people to understand that what's often seen as a, a tourist route a means of getting as quickly as possible from the airport to the centre of Paris is, in fact, a remarkably multicultural, multilingual, um, diverse place, um, which throws open the idea of the French nation being in any way homogenous. But Claire, well, any, anything to add? Um, well, you and just to, to sort of, be, I mean, we did specifically choose Rassi and not Orly, for example. And I think the interesting thing about the Maspero text is the the weighted ends. So so the the bit from from Rassi into Paris is so much more substantial in that book than the the journey through the southern suburbs down to Orly, which is which is culturally perhaps more um homogenous, I guess. But it, it that there's a fascinating sort of um diversity within the book even that illustrates this um, uh, kind of socio-economic, socio-demographic um, imbalance in in and around Paris. And I think the other thing was, you, you were asking about travel writing earlier. Um, 
the point about that book is that you know you spend this time in these places that people very rarely stop at um and that was isn't it your sense of vertical travel charles that you know you're suddenly concentrating on these extraordinary places and actually at the conference we had will self come to talk which was wonderful because he hates airports that was part of the reason for for inviting him but he has done the that 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 sort of psychogeography about walking to airports and the fact that if you stop near he throws it harmonsworth is this incredibly ancient sort of medieval town which has got this whole culture that is sort of independent of um, the airport that takes you straight into straight in, into London. Um, and I think getting that kind of almost the, the chronological as well as the spatial kind of aspect of, of traveling into the state sort of curated space of an airport of, and, and, and its presentation as Charles was outlining, um, named after Charles de Gaulle, we wanted a picture of the airport, the, of the of the concrete. I mean, talking about concrete spaces, we wanted the concrete brutalist, um, the, the common bear, isn't it, the, the, of um, of the airport. But we, um, we, we, but we didn't, we we couldn't, we couldn't find the right photo, couldn't get the permissions. But um, but but from from that through to um, the the. The, the the sort of immediate diversity which the, the passing tourist might you know doesn't stop to um doesn't stop to see if they're taken in on that um, on that express journey into paris yeah no that's really interesting and it, 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 it was terminal one we were particularly interested in um and we talk about it a bit in the um in 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 the um in the introduction but it really was this sort of futuristic statement through architecture of an airport as as, as to um how in the second half of the 20th century france would con- continue to assert itself as 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 a global power as a nation state which um was to be taken seriously on on on, on a world stage so um i think there was that aspect but as as claire said and I, i'm pleased you mentioned that claire um in maspero um it's very much that idea of a uh, a deceleration of travel as he goes through the banlieue and and a, a method that i think a number of our our authors pick up on too this almost sort of palimpsestic method so the the risk is that 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 um within french culture as in you know many cultures there can be this sort of national if not nationalistic veneer and one of our jobs as 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 researchers and teachers is to strip away layers and to to understand different histories, different languages, different cultures, um, which are there below the surface, um, and sometimes just need a little bit of sensitivity um, in the way we look and listen and smell and and um, and, and 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 even feel um, to understand that transnational complexity, which is always already embedded in the nation. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And just to kind of tie up what you both said as well, it seems that the deceleration corresponds with this kind of the actual um kind of real spatial setup of between Roissy and Paris inside the Périphérique which are kind of as you said this kind of concrete structures surrounding Charles de Gaulle but also the kind of Périphérique itself it's like these two enclaves that are kind of shuttled between with this train and looking at the actual kind of spread of human lives between those two places is also kind of interesting I've kind of cycled out of Paris and the distance that Paris unofficially extends to is kind of tens of kilometers. Of, yeah. And so it's, yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, and I'm sure we'll return to kind of the concepts of space as we continue.
Um, two other things I wanted to maybe note or or maybe have you both elaborate on um, that really came through in the introduction um, was perhaps just this idea and this very kind of powerful, perhaps kind of rhetorically powerful idea of undoing the conflation of monolingualism and monoculturalism, um, which came through very strongly in um, in the introduction and obviously was a really major thing to address, I think, kind of first thing on, which is the idea that kind of to transcend or to kind of challenge the idea of the nation. It's a key word, I'm quoting you guys now, but the nation is a key word that all students of France must interrogate in its historic and semantic complexity. And you also quote the historian Silas Lovell saying that kind of one of the key aims and perhaps kind of means of going about transnationalism is not so much to ignore the nation, but to interrogate it critically and to place it in a comparative global context. And we've kind of gotten at that through talking at the airport, but I didn't know if there was maybe in relation to francophonie or kind of, you, you also mentioned le pacte avec la nation, uh, uh, kind of between French language, literature, or cultural production and the nation state. If there was anything else you kind of wanted to add thereupon, um, perhaps not, which is also fine. well. There's a there's a there's a huge we, we, there's a huge amount to say on that. <laughs> Claire, do you want to come in first? Um, uh, well, I can talk about um, le francophonie, and it's actually just trying to kind of know where to start with actually that 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 kind of thing. And maybe what I will, and maybe I'm short cutting to something that we wanted to get to later. But we had when we were discussing about how to use this book. Um, I made a sort of semi-flippant comment about French studies isn't just baguettes and berets, and and the the, the uh, and that, that it became um, be, because actually those things and and uh, are, are neither neither of them are actually very essentially French, and and um, you know they, they they come from vast traditions of the beret. There's a, a whole Hungarian. Um, baking method for the baguette and I think we were very keen to kind of show how the uh, the nation language uh, major symbols of it are actually very um, effectively transnational but but you know that there is so much within that and so much richness within that that the, the, the homogenization of language culture uh, nation, is is uh, you know, is a great disservice to the multiplicity of the multiple generative encounters that take place um, across objects, across spaces, across um, bits of cultural production. Yeah, just just to support what 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 Claire's saying, um, I think for us that that concept of of, of the transnational. Um, in some of the ways Claire's just described, was very much rooted um, in in discussions of language. And that, that's why you'll have seen, Amber, that, that our first section is on language. Um, and we we begin with, um, with Simon Gaunt's brilliant essay on French as a transnational language um, before the, the nation. Um, as you've suggested, there are very, very few major nations which don't try and articulate their identity and indeed wield their power through um, through a dominant language. Um, it's, it's true in the US, although clearly in the US there are fascinating dynamics in terms of the relationship between between English and Spanish. But to a certain extent, it's even truer in France. 
and I, and I I think that's what what emerged from our conversations. Now, Claire, as Claire suggested, we, we had extensive conversations around shaping this book and around particularly around the what, what we hope is a is a very helpful substantial introduction. Um, but in in France, um, there is this ethno linguistic nationalism um, which goes back, in particular, to um, the time of the revolution and and its aftermath, um, whereby the coherence following the ancien regime of the French nation state um, depends on a centralized take on on language and in particular in particular the um, the French language now as Simon Gaunt demonstrates that goes very much against um, the historical multilingualism of the space we now call um, France and as in in the second chapter Robert Blackwood I'm looking in particular at um, language in cyberspace, but also the linguistic landscape, makes it clear that the, the lived reality. And Amber, if you go to those those spaces in in the banlieue of Paris that you've just alluded to, the lived reality is profoundly multilingual. It, um, it, it, it's it's um, that there's a cacophony of different languages um, coexisting um, in in France. So I think what we were trying to do was to to prise open the tension between that ideological adherence to monolingualism and the, the, the multilingual reality, even in France itself, where there are all sorts of issues around the recognition of languages other than French, whether those are heritage languages like Brittany, uh, like, like Breton um, or um, Catalan or Basque, or their more recently arrived world languages like, um, like, like Arabic, which is systematically marginalized in the formal education system um, in, in France. So, so yeah, we, we very much foregrounded language debates in our framing of um, transnationalism and we're interested you, you quoted that idea of the the, the pact um, with, with the nation we're interested in as you've said the way in which cultural production provides a space in which um those tensions between the monolingual and the the, the multilingual um are um, brought to to the fore um literaturement the manifesto you quoted was an unusual phenomenon in that it claimed to diversify French literature and French culture, but did so monolingually, I think, um, by um, sort of reasserting the value of French. If you look in other genres, um, like film, though, and we had an excellent chapter by, by Gemma King, um, there is a very clear tradition in recent years, but it, it, it goes back to the earlier 20th century, of um, multilingual aesthetics in, in French cinema, um, which hasn't necessarily been recognised as such. And if you look closely at French literature as well, particularly the phenomenon of the translingual writer, so or the exophonic writer, as the French sometimes call them, authors born into one language, but who have then migrated often geographically and linguistically to France and, and to French, then suddenly you see this glorious multilingual poetics, which underpins what appears to be um, a monolingual French literary tradition. No, completely. And I think there was also, I'm trying to remember who it was now, but there was also a really interesting discussion of kind of migrants, the idea of kind of assimilation um, into a French identity or the the difficulties um, and the difficult circumstances surrounding that that are tied to kind of language and kind of a very kind of um, set idea of kind of what French identity is. And there was someone who discussed uh, Picasso and people that kind of moved to France and very easily kind of acquired a French identity. Yeah. 
vis-a-vis and I, I'm just trying to remember who that is but I think so I think it was yeah I'm saying I think we touched on it in the introduction but then it's it's Claire's chapter on transnational fraternity which, oh, which really get, gets to the heart of those issues no not at all sorry you know. um yeah and and, and um that there, there, there is a book um is it called uh, Ils sont devenus français and it, it traces it traces the, the you know the archival traces of, of people who became who became French and it's Gainsbourg, Sarkozy and 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 and, and Aznavour, you know, and, and and celebrates that. Um but yeah, and then in contrast and, and how certain migrants are um oh I can't remember his name, but the the the, this, the guy from Senegal, wasn't it, who who climbed up the um the front of the building where there was a baby dangling from from the fourth balcony and um i've actually stayed in the building next door <laughs> but um he climbed up the um and, and saved the baby and immediately was given french citizenship and an apprenticeship at the french fire service um so you know the good the good migrant who saves who saves baby French citizens um and then in the film um that I was looking at in that which is called Paris Stalingrad um there is a lot of the 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 the, the, it follows the trajectory of a young asylum seeker who speaks Arabic and writes very very beautiful Arabic poetry Um, (coughs) um but also how things are closed off to him because actually his his French it it, it is emergent um and the um alignment of um intelligence really with, with you know the, the the glottophobia of 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 other of other languages and if you don't have that sort of fluent uh, fluency in french then somehow you are intrinsically lacking um in 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 some sorts of ways um yeah yeah just Claire, just just to, just to name him um um mamoudou gassama mamoudou gassama um, a, a, a malian um uh, Sans papier, um, and I, I, nothing really to add to what Claire said, but I, but I think what's implicit in that is we're talking about language as um, a means of access to um, to French citizenship, um, which which, you know, which which is an approach often hardened under um, under right wing governments, but it's linked in as Claire's saying to. An additional and unspoken um, ethnic policing as well. So, as Claire said, that that book *Ils sont devenus français* um, looks specifically at the um, the ease with which certain people arriving um, are integrated into French culture. But the flip side of that is that, particularly um, those coming from North and Sub-Saharan Africa, are less easily integrated as we continue to see in French society now. Classic example of that um, in the cultural sphere is the emergence of what was called the the Burr novel um, in in the 1980s. So a novel written by um, a young generation of writers, uh, most of whose parents or um, grandparents had had migrated to to France from North Africa. Um, But that category of the Burr novel became like a sort of quarantine space, which meant that French-born authors writing in France, educated in France, being published in France, um, were not admitted um, to the canon of French literature. And and I think what you see with the case of of um, of of Burr fiction, the Burr novel, um, is a literary illustration of that policing um, along ethnic lines, which 
for part of us, for part of, um, was a major part of what we were exploring in the text. And, you know, and I think you've mentioned Claire's chapter on transnational fraternity. Um, a lot of what interested us were, were the, the blind spots and the paradoxes of French Republican universalism. Um, which which claim uh, which claims to be inclusive, but uh, often is anything but. No, I think this is actually maybe a really good to kind of jump around what we discussed. We might discuss that might be kind of a good moment to broach that effort, kind of intellectually to kind of expand it. And you mentioned kind of as well as your own kind of thoughts on on fraternity that you might want to kind of recap for the listener. There's also some very interesting texts that you mentioned, kind of obviously very famously Frère Migrant, but this kind of idea to situate fraternité as what you, I think, call the kind of late add-on to liberté and égalité in the origins of the three, which might be a fun kind of linchpin <laughs> to start with. But there's kind of this interesting way um, that it keeps expanding. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting going through that sort of genealogy of how it's been grappled with and 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 that you know how it becomes unwieldy actually fraternity it's like this effective thing that they can't really legislate for and yet it becomes compelling and yet and then it's difficult and then it's appropriated by um you know by i think Morin, Edgar Morin is very very um incisive on the the two different sorts of sort of open and closed fraternité um and and the closed the you know the the the, the far-right nationalist fraternité that 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 uses it as a as as a barrier you know that, that, that there's a, there is a racially pure fraternité which was articulated under putain certainly and then um and then sort of it, 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 it opening out as this gesture and, and, and the figure of Cédric Heroux um, and, um, and, and that particular community um, in La Roya, which has got a kind of radical left um, tradition, but actually challenging that Republican value, it going to the Conseil Constitutionnel and actually saying, no, there is, you know, it is, it is a right, it is constitutionally Republican to extend that fraternal hand across the border if you are actually helping um Italy. And, and that's actually a really significant moment for this sort of universalized republican thinking and, and we hear to greta i mean ju- just to i mean we'll get onto it later but perpetually when you're looking at how the the uh, the racial inequality in france is blindsided by the universal republican notion of equality you know it's refusal to engage in in any kind of um demographic analysis or or to um to 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 give any weight to what might be actually sort of very structural racism because the republic can't see it um and i think uh, chong's chapter talks about that very much in in relation to to marseille um and I, th- I think, you know, it was a kind of challenge not to, I mean, thinking through fraternity, and I always end up moving towards Paul Gilroy's articulation of conviviality, which I find very, very compelling. And the idea, and I think that sort of underlines a bit what we mean by the transnational is that, that the, the you know, that there is an exchange, there's an, a transactional, not in a negative sense, but a, a way in which cultures learn from each other through, in their, in the way that they, 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 they connect to each other and that convivial that living you know together that 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 working together is actually something really really you know um really important um and and really um without sort of 
you know, I'm, I'm not advocating for some sort of universal sense of fraternité. It's in that it's in that multiplicity of the encounter that things become really interesting. Um, yeah, and there's possibly a link. Sorry, to were you going to say something, Charles? I was just going to say mention Toussaint Louverture, but I don't know if that's possibly who you were going to mention. You read my mind. Because <laughs> um, what, what I think is excellent about Claire's chapter, um, and you alluded to this, is that fraternité is often the rather poor relation of liberté, égalité, fraternité. Um, there's been some, for, for obvious reasons, because because of the three, it's the only one that's overtly gendered. Um, there's been some interest in, in it um, since the sixties, really, from a from a um, feminist perspective and thinking about equivalents like sororité. Um, but historically, it's it's very much been um, be, be, been sidelined. Um, that said, um, and I think this is a point we we try to make throughout the book: um, liberté and égalité themselves merit a similar degree of scrutiny um, in terms of their um, transnational complexity. And as you've just said, Amber, um, we take those concepts back to the beginning. We take them back to the 1790s. Um, and um, both liberté and égalité, and obviously fraternité as well, um, have got to be understood in relation to the parallel parallel revolution that was occurring um, alongside the French Revolution in what was then Saint-Domingue and what would become independent Haiti in 1804. And key figures like Toussaint Louverture, as, as, as the leader of the, the, the Haitian Revolution, um, are precisely taking a notion um, like liberté um, and pushing it to limits unimagined in France at the time, because liberté in his eyes, and remember, he was more interested in emancipation from enslavement than he was um, in, in, in post-colonial independence. Liberté, in his eyes, was to do with throwing off the, uh, the shackles of, um, of, of enslavement, um, which would then lead to égalité um, between the French and the formerly enslaved and the free-coloured population of, of the island. So what you have in Haiti in the 1790s, culminating in independence in, in, in 1804, um, is a radical statement of liberté, égalité, fraternité, um, much more radical than the one um, for which the bourgeois revolution in France was, um, was a vehicle. But we can only understand that once we reflect on what's seen as a national motto or devise in transnational terms. And when we don't take the Haitian Revolution as some sort of exotic sideshow um, or addendum to um, the French Revolution, but we see it as a parallel revolutionary process with its own dynamics, and which crucially at certain points in the 1790s, particularly under, under the Convention, was driving revolutionary activity in France um, and sort of unsettling that, that, that sense of centre and periphery. No, completely. And also, I don't know if this is a relevant link, but um, kind of in a way that also relates back to what to what Claire was saying about how the understanding of the terms liberté, égalité and fraternité have evolved kind of over the years and kind of mostly in kind of maybe the last century. Um, David Scott's Conscripts of Modernity as a reading of kind of that era is so interesting in terms of how we, so kind of to recap, I suppose, the the basic argument that he makes, it's that our post-colonial understanding of the narrative of kind of overcoming colours in a way that is actually kind of unhelpful um, 
maybe what was being said in the Black Jacobin and things like this, or yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that's kind of interesting in terms of how that relates to liberté, égalité and fraternité in this idea of the original sense and the ways that now they're, the ways that they can be expanded or pushed. And also this idea that I think he calls it the romance of colonial overcoming might be understood as the tragedy of, and I can't remember his exact terms, but the tra- that he just reframes it as a tragic form as opposed to, and I suppose that's what's happening with fraternité a bit in your chapter um, and the note that you end on, which is not, which I think kind of balances quite well the kind of hindrances or the kind of inbuilt limits to this framework when thinking about kind of extending across borders and and kind of contemporary population flows and the ways that they're being managed. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it ends on quite a mordant note, really. Um, <laughs> just um, and 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 absolutely because I think France is not, um, and and perhaps Europe more broadly is is struggling and 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 is um it's it is a work in it is a work in progress and i think that you have yeah major issues there around the issue of 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 asylum hospitality cultures of hospitality um in contemporary in contemporary france i think um bringing in David Scott's conscripts of modernity is, it, 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 which we I don't think we talk about in the book, but it, but 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 it's extremely useful um, for the reason you mentioned, Amber, in, in that Scott's argument, you know, it, it, it's quite a focused argument around C.L.R. James mm. and the way in which C.L.R. James rewrites the Black Jacobins between 1938 and um, and, and and 1963. But I think that speaks precisely into into the context that, that, that the two of you are. Are talking about because precisely his argument is that um, James, who is a witness of and, and an agent in processes of decolonization, ends up in the early 60s um, with um, a, a view of history which is no longer linear um, and which is no longer celebratory. Um, as would often seem to be the case when 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 we look at historiography, a popular historiography, and and sort of it, its channeling into politics of, of of the French Revolution. And I think you're quite right that that his argument there is that um, the romanticism of um, of anti-colonialism tips into um, a much more tragic view of post-coloniality, and and I, and I think you can track that back to, to Haiti again, because Nick Nesbitt, um, who's written brilliantly on, on the Haitian revolution says, look, this was 150 years premature um, as a, an illustration of what Francophone post-coloniality might look like, but crucially at the same time, and we'll be commemorating this in two years time. Um, it's also a classic example of, of neo-colonial intervention because what happens in 1825, well, the French will only recognize um, Haitian independence in return for a massive crippling debt, um, which Haiti does not pay off till the 1940s and which undoubtedly plays a key role in the country's um, continuing uh, un- underdevelopment. So I think you're quite right. Looking at and and you know, this is where a number of key um, Francophone thinkers like Eshelou Mbembe, I think, uh, 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 allow us to to explore this this um, strand really cogently. Thinking about um, the wake of empire as being a moment of post-colonial tragedy, um, 
allows us to reflect on on a number of the debates around the afterlives of empire and ethnicity um, in in France today, um, and the, the, these unresolved issues, which 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 I think can be taken back not just to the moment of decolonization, but also to um, the colonial period itself. Yeah, definitely, and I think maybe this is a nice moment to broach kind of transnational methods if we were kind of on an ethics an ethics moment kind of moment a moment ago there's there's kind of an a methodological counterpart that runs in terms of quite i mean claire you mentioned Brodel and the long durée i think in your or maybe perhaps it was charles in the introduction to temporalities that would make more sense but it was mentioned definitely in the main introduction but this the dual notion of the long durée and the histoire croisée as kind of the counterpart to this going back before kind of a rift between colonial and post-colonial in the term in the terms of modern European colonialism and thinking a bit in a bit more of a nuanced manner about how these kind of interweavings, both in like the exercise of kind of a concrete form of power by France over other places for years that precede and succeed formal European colonialism, but also kind of a slightly more subversive form of exchange between cultures. So I don't know if those are two key terms that might be interesting to just to discuss, maybe in relation to any any particular essays, I can have a think about which ones, or if you just had immediate thoughts thereupon. I have immediate thoughts, Claire, if that's okay. <laughs> Go for it, Charles. So look, Amber, we, we might talk in a bit about now how people, how we hope people will use this book um and um who our sort of imagined readers were one one thing we claire and i talked about quite a lot particularly in relation to the introduction were, were disciplinary histories and we we really didn't want to get bogged down in them quite frankly because students of french and those outside french studies are probably not particularly interested in them um that said we are very interested in them. And if you look at French studies as a field which has evolved over the past, you know, I suppose, 120, 130 years in, in the English-speaking world, um, what characterised it from the outset and what persisted for a long time was a certain methodological nationalism, um, wh which is partly to do with language um, and um, the, the, the prescriptive understandings of, of the French language, um, which replicates certain... Um, practices as Claire mentioned of, of glottophobia but also to do with the object of study and that idea that for a long time the object of study was literary it was canonical um, and it was French um, now for us transnational um, a, a transnational French studies is a fundamental challenge to those foundational assumptions um, and I think what we're asking people to do is is, is to think transnationally, um, to to ha and that's why methodology it, it, it is important. It's partly to do with perspective, but it's also to do with the nuts and bolts of how we actually analyse um, instances of, of of Frenchness. Going back, I think to to Bill Marshall's excellent work in the French Atlantic on on diasporic Frenchness. And, and th this idea of Frenchness that, that transcends the boundaries of the hexagon that Douglas Smith um, analyzes so, so, so compellingly um, in the volume. And for, for me, that has two um, fundamental dimensions, and you've mentioned both of them there. Um, one is clearly geographical, 
and it's thinking of when when we talk about histoire quasi it's thinking about the french nation within much broader frames um which can be european which can be mediterranean um or which can be transatlantic um which can be variously transcolonial so um we 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 need to think about the, the the those entanglements in spatial and geographical terms but crucially amber um we also need to reflect on them in in chronological terms and we i think you've mentioned this already you can't think about france transnationally whether that's in terms of um migration whether that's in terms of ethnicity whether that's in terms of of language um without looking at the ways in which the colonial for example is always already present in the post colonial and there's not this sense of a clear meridian um uh you know in 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 the 19th century there was that that idea of a colonial meridian which split the ancien regime empire from the um republican empire you know around 18 you know, 1830 um invasion of um of of algeria as if things started afresh clearly they didn't because there were still a number of ancien regime colonies martinique guadeloupe guyana reunion island which still in the 21st century remain constitutionally part of France some people would see them as 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 neo colonies and then that meridian is also there in in between 58 and 62 in some people's minds um this was the end of empire clean break um let's let, let's move on um as a post colonial nation state as we make clear in the book and as you amber have made clear in your reading of it um we simply can't um operate in those ways because that the lived reality um of 21st century france and also the way in which that reality is freighted in um cultural production suggests that the past is hauntingly always there yeah and i thought there was a really nice again i'm trying to remember who mentioned it but i thought there was a really nice kind of re new maybe new neologism that's quite useful which is paracolonialism which i hadn't heard before reading the book and i don't it's know if it's already that mentioned it i can't remember who cites it but it's 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 in um liverpool like university press book but it's oana panaite who who um who okay. who who who, who, who um who develops that um and and who's now working on um questions of whiteness in France um and and reading whiteness through particularly a a, a post colonial lens but i i agree with you really really so helps the temporality to yeah. neo colonialism or the yeah. post you know it kind of gets rid of that kind of linear idea that then just actually confuses a, a way of or kind of trying to analyze critically what 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 happens in terms of geopolitics So with our remaining time i don't know if there's a a logical jump to make to any of the the places that we or any of the essays that we discuss that i kind of we discuss that we might discuss um i mean it's worth considering actually just perhaps while we're talking about chronology that we were very keen not to make this um an ultra contemporary um um collection of essays and and we're very um, which is why we've got you know Simon Gaunt's wonderful chapter about you know French before the nation but also Bill's chapter Bill Marshall's wonderful chapter on prehistory um and um and then and and we've got um Richard as well talking about 19th century um uh, different 
formulations of, of, of challenging things around cosmopolitanism. And, and I think that, that having that prehistory chapter, in, which perhaps Charles can talk about a bit more, but it, it's, it's a really, um, it was an important thing for us, I think, to ensure that we were not um, giving a snapshot, really, of, of, of the transnational in the present, although that is obviously kind of part of our um, mission, but that, that, that actually there is a sense in which we can read backwards. Um, does that make sense too? No, definitely. Um, yeah, and I, in some ways I think that was our response to a real risk in, in French studies of, of a drift towards presentism. Um, Claire and I are both modernists, but but we both know that we can't do the work we want to do without having real historical um, depth and 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 awareness. Um, both of us, as as you've gathered, uh, are um are very interested in those afterlives of of um, colonialism and empire um in in France. And Claire's mentioned um Simon Gaunt's chapter and Bill Marshall's chapter, um. There are Jackie Dutton, for example, had, had, has a chapter on um, transnational utopianism, um, which takes us back to the 18th century, but then jumps forward to the um, to, to the 21st century. Um, so I think that that chronological range was really important for us because we were saying to to all of our colleagues, really, in French studies, um, whichever period they work in, and and um, perhaps whatever their their objects of study um we hope this speaks to you and 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 is relevant to you and can be can be factored into the sorts of conversations you're having um with with your students what's fascinating about um simon and bill's chapters is obviously we're talking about a situation long before the foundation of the um the nation state um you know in bill's work on 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 prehistory um we're, we're we're reflecting on a whole series of 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 tropes which are through for example the discovery of the caves in lescaut in france central to contemporary french identity but paradoxically taking us back to 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 a time when the nation as a formation um meant could mean nothing um and and so um it's that that sort of you were talking about the paracolonial and the the sort of limitations of the terms we use. I my concern is that the the transnational also has those limitations because the transnational means nothing without the pre-national, and it means nothing without the post-national, whether that's a reality or or, or an aspiration. And that pre-national through the transnational to the post-national very much captures, I think, what we were trying to do chronologically in the collection. No, that's a really another very interesting framework. I feel that there's actually a few things we could jump onto from that, one of which would be this idea of kind of regional identities within France that we haven't really mentioned uh, kind of in detail, but in our pre-discussions was kind of at least a focal point. So I don't know if that's interesting. And others, obviously, I think it came through one of my favourite essays, Yasser El Hariri's um, work on Asia I think it's because I, I studied her a lot because that's the main Francophone person you could study when I was an undergraduate here. And so I found this kind of palimpsestic reading of a palimpsestic writer being Jabbar and kind of working very closely with the kind of Arabic or the, with at least an extensive knowledge of the pre-Islamic and Islamic historiography himself really opened up 
a very interesting kind of series of questions in my mind, at least, about Jabbar and her kind of semi-controversial status within the French literary canon and this idea of it as a transnational or as a kind of, we could use the Spivak thing of native informant type thing and how that works. It Maybe it's not correct, but this kind of really interesting kind of role that she occupies within within at least Anglophone French literary studies. Um, I don't, so those were kind of my two, or we could talk about how it's being read. I can edit this bit out, obviously, but how the collection's being read. Those are the three things that I was trying to keep in my mind while you were speaking, but there's also kind of a logical connection in the remaining time of maybe getting onto that question as well, of how you envisage the collection being read by students or being taught by teachers, I suppose. I mean, I just, I would say Yasser's chapter is probably one of the most challenging in in, in the book. Um, and I'm really pleased that it's got so much Arabic in there. It's actually quite, um, um, you know, it's really, it's really important. But I was also thinking, um, Yasser wrote a very beautiful essay for PMLA about, is it just F, italicised, where he's challenging always. Um, um, it's it's worth the read, um, but but challenging, the, the, yeah, the francophone. And um, I mean, I think I said sort of in passing, we're very much transnational French studies, not transnational francophone studies, um, and that that's an important distinction. But he's challenging in that chapter, Jebar, and he's challenging things around. There's so much interesting work actually going on around translation, and and translation is a um, in in a decolonial frame. Um, at the moment, um, and and the violence of translation actually. Um, so I think he that that the, there's things around there that are, again, where we hit against almost like the limits of our own transnational frame. That that you know we want to be sort of pushing more towards um, these, these kind of radical decolonial readings of, of of things, which perhaps the transnational doesn't give us the space to do. Um, but but, um, but yeah, Charles. So, no, I yeah, couldn't agree more with, with what, what Claire's outlining there. Yasser wrote a book, again for Liverpool University Press, um, 2018, called Pacifist Invasions, mm-hmm. Arabic translation, which Claire's just mentioned, and the post-Francophone um, lyric. And for me, that, that was a really important um, in, intervention in, in, in French studies. Going back to some of the issues you mentioned at the beginning, Amber, around um, linguistic prescription and um, opening up our understanding of, of how French not only exists diglossically with other languages, but how those other languages um, have progressively, and this is over a number of centuries, not, not just in recent years, have, have, have progressively intermingled um, with um, with the French language. So um, I too um, am really pleased that, that, that Yasser's chapter is, um, is in the collection. And you know, how would one teach that to, to students? Well, the way I'd go in is to talk about Asia Jabbar as we haven't mentioned the Académie Française yet, but, um, <laughs> but, but um, uh, Asia Jabbar as, as a member of the, um, the, the Académie Française, um, supposedly functioning um, as part of this, this this bastion protecting the French language, but somebody whose work is um, a very radical intervention um, in dialogue with Arabic literature um, and and considering um, those those translingual crossings, and and I, and I think um, that then allows you to, to to reflect much more broadly on the often rather sort of parodied version of the Académie Française, which is really a deeply um, um, 
contradictory institution in that uh, Denny Laferriere, François Cheng, there are a number of authors who, who, who fit into this pacifist invasion idea who are central to it. Now, obviously, then we have to ask ideological questions. Is this to do with the recuperative power of, of the French states through its institutions to um, to neutralize difference, or is it to do with the, um, the, the the perpetuation of that difference in the heart of key institutions, which will then um, progressively evolve? Yeah, I suspect it's a bit of each. Mm-hmm. Me too. And and I, I also... but, but Amber, I do want to talk about Brittany, but go on. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's you. only a really small comment, but I always like the image of I think someone once said self inoculating methods, kind of using the medi- medis- medical term. It just it to me, it's like a brilliant way of understanding how kind of institutions like and manage difference but in a way that just kind of mind-bogglingly actually strengthens kind of national identity and hegemony and that was kind of we we pre-discussed also that to do with museums and to do with the commemoration of and memorialization of slavery but this kind of idea of yeah benchmarks within a national identity now having to be having to do certainly with French actions but also having to do with kind of this these monuments to difference that are French themselves. So then it's it's an extremely confusing, like the Musée de l'Homme that became Musée du Quai Branly and, and all these things. Um, no, it was just, can... just as completely as an aside, you might... Did you know that the Préfecture de Police have banned the commemoration or any kind of manifestation um, on Tuesday, you know, the little for, for the 17th of October? So the inheritor of Papon has actually said, no, you cannot commemorate the... Uh, the 17th of October, there's the, the plaque on the Pont Saint-Michel. Um, they've, they've prohibited any gathering. But I gather the, the gathering will still take place. It will indeed take place. I think with probably greater numbers than before. So. <laughs> I'm just sorry I'm not in Paris. Absolutely. <laughs> Amber, can I just pick up on that, 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 that regional question um, yes, please, you, you please, raised? Please. Um Claire and I will both have views on gaps here and and regrets. And there are some gaps in the book because several contributors fell by the wayside for for various reasons. Um, There are other gaps because we didn't have space. And um, one gap that is there, and we allude to it in in the introduction, you picked up on this, is that discussion around um, the, the, the regions of France. Um, now, Robert Blackwood, in his chapter on Frenches on Walls and Online, talks about um, the overseas departments and regions, um, particularly Guadeloupe and um, and uh, and, but well, it's, it's not a Drôme, but but New Caledonia as well. But we, I, I would really have liked to have something on on um, on Brittany, um, not least because I, I I've lived in Brittany and, and worked worked on Brittany quite a lot. Um, we mentioned and um, Heather Williams's brilliant book, Postcolonial Brittany, um, in in the the introduction. And one of the reasons I'd like to have something on um, what some people call regions, what some people call you know, there's still a nationalist movement in Brittany. What some people see as as emerging um, small nations, um, Basque country as well as as is, is an example there, um, is it allows us to again to to rethink the geography of the nation and the relationship between not just the national and the transnational, but the, the national and the, the, the subnational. 
and clearly colleagues working on transnational Spanish studies had had similar debates around particularly um, Catalonia, but also Galicia and the and, and, and the Basque Country. And what what would have interested me there um, would have been a chapter looking at a space like Brittany um, in a in a transnational frame. On the one hand, this reflection on um, the, national aspirations of of subnational spaces but also on those transnational connections um between a region like Brittany um and other celtic regions for example um which which crucially bypass paris which and um, which which bypass um the um the, the nation state so you can look at links between Brittany and obviously wales and and ireland and and scotland and so you get an alternative um, transnational solidarity between um, regions or or, 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 or between uh, small nations, um, which again allows us to rethink the French nation state in very different ways. Now that chapter isn't there, but crucially, as an intervention, this volume is also a provocation, and I, and I think what we're asking readers to do and and uh, those who teach um, to 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 to, to pick up on is how does the direction of travel that we've tried to um, capture in this volume, how might that um, invite other forms of reflection, other um, types of intervention, and how might transnationalism shape more broadly um, the sorts of work we do in research and teaching in French studies? Yeah. No, I think that's that's definitely, at least kind of from my reading, one of the things that it made me think about, hence my own, because I work a bit, just as a quick aside, um, on what well, my second chapter is on Leopold Siddhar Songor. And one of the things that, and his poetry, I kind of read it as pastoral poetry, but kind of one of the things that I found so interesting when I was reading all his self-anthologized kind of essays in the Liberté is he consistently makes the comparison between the Serra, which are kind of, the, the it's the ethnicity to which he belongs, and the Breton. So for like multiple reasons that are fascinating, there is this kind of dialogue, even though everyone thinks of him as, you know, this kind of quintessential kind of Parisian assimilé, a lot of his self-framing is A to B to do with being a peasant. And the way he relays that kind of in his rhetoric is often through analogy to, because he kind of terms his ethnicity the salty people because they they live um, kind of in the region of the, the Delta region of Senegal. So kind of the rivers are all saltwater rivers because it travels inland very slowly. And there's a large salt industry there, which obviously has a very direct link with Brittany. Um, so there's like, it kind of, it already forced me to think about in structural terms about the ways these kind of links. And again, it's kind of going back to a David Scott-esque point, which is we sometimes accidentally posit either colonialism and hexagonal France in, internally, as in, I'm also guilty of it, as separate things, when there's a communication going on constantly in a way that just sensitivities aren't always aligned to, that just do circumvent urban spaces and, and kind of capital cities. And there can just be a direct communication, kind of intellectually, that is, um, through ideas that don't, that kind of does just miss out this urban hotspot and doesn't have to do with kind of physically being in a place like Paris to kind of do to undertake an exchange of ideas. Um, can I give you another really concrete example of this, that, that would have formed a fantastic chapter? Um, and again, it's another lap, another gap. Um, we, we could have had something on transnationalism and um, environmentalism. Um, and 
um again didn't have space for it but but the had we commissioned something on that i probably would have looked to to the larzac protests in in the the 1960s into the 70s um which precisely illustrate amber what you're just talking about um so um protests over the militarization of of um a uh, a rural area there have been subsequent ones you know uh, um if you think about the airport that was proposed near, near, near nantes but it became this this rural site that was a transnational location of protest which brought together um bretons brought together um native americans brought together the kanak um brought together um the um those active in 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 the civil rights movement in in, in the states so um you're quite right that um there is a uh, there, there are rural lo locations for for transnational encounter as well and arguably some of the the most radical in instances of this are precisely outside um major metropolitan areas so yeah no it, it it's a really it's a really good point um and it's you know i i think again it's something that that i hope people who look at the book might want to might want to explore further i pursue it i'm sure there's really really interesting archival things thereupon as well in, in regional archives as well so no, i think there's so many interesting kind of lines of inquiry um yeah la Hoya also i was just you know, you know again with, which has got that transnational sense of solidarity and, and, and stuff like that that comes and it's very bedded and wedded to it, it, it's it's regional um location sure. yeah and i think robert blackwood mentions bled because he talks about kind of the relative kind of um or the, the lack of mixing in his kind of his contrast between kind of Creole and Arabic. And he says bled is one of the only of these words that's been so thoroughly incorporated within French, meaning countryside itself, and coming from the Arabic. So I again found that quite interesting as kind of this kind of other network of linkages that is going on to do with kind of rurality and um, homeland and that being a word that's spoken in French, but not French to signify that. I don't know. I'm not sure if anyone has other things to say about that. Um, it, it can be used quite disparagingly as well. I mean, the, 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 the sense of, um, there's a, a wonderful, uh, my, my friend was, who is Lebanese, but grew up in Clichy Soubois, and, and he talks about the the, the sort of, the, the, when he's in, in Lebanon, um, he, is the, he's the, he has the impeccable French, and yet when he's um, back in France, in metropolitan France, with all the quote unquote stuff about that, um, that he is from the Blé, you know, that that he 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 is he's ruralized effectively by by um, by having a by having a Lebanese accent, for example. 